This is The Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. Hey everyone, Patrick Donahoe here. Good morning. This is episode 118 of The Wealth Standard Radio. Uh, we have, uh, we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about the biggest business in the world that you've never heard about. And you kind of have, but most people don't consider it a business. And, uh, but we're all participating in it. We all, uh, in a sense, benefit from it, but we all benefit them as well. And it's a profound concept. And uh, I want to kind of get into the weeds uh, today in regards to it. Uh, so I did not want to do that alone because it is quite the uh, the monster to tackle. So I brought on a good friend and advisor here at Paradigm Life, Ryan Lee. Ryan, what's going on, dude? Hey, guys. I appreciate you having me on, Pat. I'm excited to be talking about this biz- big business. Once we understand it, what we can do about it and how we can participate in it more efficiently. Yeah. So Ryan, hope you're fired up. We uh, Ryan and I both do CrossFit, the same uh, same gym. We had kind of a gnarly workout this morning. So hopefully our muscles are are ready. They've uh, got our blood flowing. Our minds are working properly. What do you think? Uh, it took me about an hour. It was one of those workouts where you lay on the mat and cry for about an hour. But now that I'm done crying, I'm ready to go. Uh, nothing like CrossFit to uh, to put you in your place, right? You, you got it. All right. All right. So let's uh, let's get into this biggest biggest business in, in the world. Um, so most people don't consider this a, a business. Um, I kind of consider it a, a partnership in a sense. And I think the uh, especially the United States, we're all involved with it, right? So let's talk about the partners. Uh, first partner is academia, right? So academia is our educational system, and uh, and I, I'm talking about more formal education, such as you know uh, kindergarten and elementary school and middle school and high school, college, uh, post grad, yada yada yada. That, that's what I consider the formal educational world. Uh, second, uh, the second partner is the corporate world, right? So corporations that uh, that employ people. Uh, they give them the opportunity to, you know, take their degrees and take their education and essentially use it. And it's uh, for the corporation's benefits. So they can uh, sell services and sell products and, and, and so forth. That's the second partner. Uh, third partner is Wall Street. Okay. Wall Street, the infamous uh, bull, you know, the bull on Wall Street. I've never, I've, have you been to Wall Street? I've never been to Wall Street. I, it, was a, it was a long, long, long time ago, but I've never had a picture taken next to the, to the bull. I wonder if there's a way in which we can like get get behind him and like give him a stiff kick in the in the nads. I don't I mean, know that, if that, that would be make, appropriate or not. That would make a good YouTube video. <laughs> I tell you what. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. So Wall Street is this other partner, right? And Wall Street, what is Wall Street? Wall Street are, are stock exchanges, right? They take uh, shares of these corporations that we've been talking about, and uh, that's kind of where they uh, they tr- they change hands, right? People can buy ownership in in GE. They can buy ownership in Microsoft. They can buy ownership in Google. Can buy ownership in, in you know lots of different corporations, right? And uh, then you can sell it, buy and sell. You get dividends off of some of them. But anyway, we can participate in uh, corporate ownership in, in a sense on a, on a fractional level. Uh, and then uh, the final partner, final partner, which is kind of like the uh, the guy that sits at the top and you know grants people permission to do this, that, and the other, uh, which is the government. You know, I think federal government, state government, city government, you can talk about all the different types of governments. But this is the partnership, right? And uh, the way in which this whole charade works is if we, right, the American people are willing to participate. Right. So let's, let's maybe get into the first one really, uh, really briefly. And then we'll get to kind of the gist of what we're talking about today, um, which is going to be, you know, the biggest business in the world, how you can be aware of it. Right. But how you can actually do something about it and be aware, know what's going on and position yourself accordingly, uh, so that you can build wealth, build happiness, build freedom and so forth. But the first step, what's the first step? You got to be aware. You got right? it. In order to be aware, you have to become educated. 
Okay. One one thing that you said there is, as you were talking about that partnership, I I hadn't really connected the dots in the way that I just did as you were talking about that. But all four of those entities, from the education system to the corporate world to Wall Streets and headed up by the government, they're all partners together. Mm-hmm. And we enter into the partnership with all four of those entities acting together For sure. uniformly. And it's yeah. really interesting because, yeah. you know, I was just thinking back in my own life as I, as I went through this partnership. I went to school. I learned how to get a good job. We all did. I did too. Right. Go to school, get a job. Once once you're in school, the school teaches you how to make money for someone else for corporate America. Yeah. Once you get in corporate America, yeah. corporate America teaches you how to invest in Wall Street. <laughs> once you start investing in Wall Street, you know, your all your money is shifted to the future. Sure. And shifted, you know, shift all that risk. And the government's kind of the one, the puppet master pulling all those strings back there. And they're and they're getting their share too. No, it's a, it's interesting. And my thing is, is you know, there's there they have to create value, right? There's always a value proposition. It's not like they get everything and we get nothing. We still get stuff, right? We learn how to read, we learn how to do arithmetic, we um, you know, learn specialized things as we get into college potentially. Uh, there's some stuff that they teach us that's just like my kids are in elementary school and, and it's kind of like it's like really like what, <laughs> what relevance does it have with anything? But again, it's the it's the it's the idea behind our brains processing and our personalities processing. So I mean there's there's value there, right? There's value in the corporate world, right? We show up and you know we get to use some of our talents and we get paid for it. Right. So there's always, you know, there's, there's always an exchange, right? But at the same time, looking at that exchange, sometimes if one partner has more control of the other partner, right? Or control of the person that's kind of fueling the fire or, you know, putting oil in the machine, right? Then they take advantage. They can think of it. They can exploit you. They can take advantage of you. And I think there's a lot of that that is going on. Absolutely. Right. Look at 2008, 2009. Perfect example of how, you know, wool is so close over our eyes because people are not aware of this partnership that, you know, the American public was taken advantage of more than, most people actually realize, right? So the awareness is very important because what it does is it helps you really optimize this partnership because you need, you know, this partnership exists. It's there. It's not like you're going to be able to abolish it, right? It's there. It's acting. It's continuing to act. It's probably going to act for a long time. So how do we take advantage of that? Well, you can choose how to participate in that partnership, right? Once you understand what, what is being required of you and how the other side of the partnership works, you can then show up differently. If you show up kind of, as you said, with the wool pulled over your eyes and you have no idea what you're even doing or that there even is a partnership yeah. to begin with. You're going to be a yes man. You're going to be a yes man and you are going to be taken advantage of throughout the whole process. Yeah, great point. Great point. All right. So we're going to get today about just kind of some of the ways in which you can leverage it. Uh, we're not going to be able to get into everything. It's a freaking huge topic, right? But uh, I think for for most people that are listening, it's really about building wealth. It's uh, about increasing your certainty. It's about increasing your control. Um, but part of that is also minimizing tax. And we're going to get into, you know, kind of the tax, the tax element. Uh, but I still think it's worthy to, you know, really just talk about maybe the mindset that's cr- that they want us to have, this partnership wants us to have, to be an optimal uh, fueler of, of their fire. So I think it's it's worth our time to maybe explore that a little bit. Then we'll get into, you know, this idea behind government and tax uh, and talk about how to protect your wealth from probably one of the biggest wealth destroyers, which is uh, tax. And there's, you know, kind of two taxes that destroy your wealth. One is the hidden tax, which is inflation. The other is, you know, the the conspicuous tax, which is just the hundred or so on taxes that we pay. <laughs> and we're going to get, we, we obviously won't be able to cover all of those, uh, that list, but uh, we'll, we'll publish that um, in the actual blog post itself. And then we'll talk about some of the taxes within that massive, massive list. All right. So let's talk about per- perspective, right? So us as human beings, you know, 10% of our brain works, 90% is just like habit, right? So mo- a lot of people have discovered 
you know, this, uh, this idea and really know how to essentially influence our subconscious so that we behave a certain way routinely, right? Or, or habitually. So looking at this idea of our perspective of the world, it's mostly because of our subconscious and that is a result of our environment, right? And it's first created inside of our, our school system in a, in a sense. So let's talk about, you know, just academia. There's good parts about it, right? My, my kids learn, learn things. Um, they've learned how to, to read very well. Uh, they've, they've learned some other creative things. There's some technology that is being incorporated in the school system at uh, a slow pace, mind you. Um, but again, you have, you know, anyway, I won't get into the generation that's actually facilitating that technology, but still they're, they're learning things, right? They have a social environment and so forth. Um, but what about academia is it that really kind of influences our, our subconscious influence, our habit influences, our habits, our perspective of the world when it comes to, you know, just, you know, when it comes to exiting the academia and going into the employment world? Well, I, I think one of the main things that, that the academic world teaches us is to conform, right? You're told how to learn, what to learn, how to regurgitate that perceived knowledge. And you go through an eight, 12, 14, 18 year process of learning how to conform and how to... And that's a question too. Yeah, that, that's, that's a scary thing. It really is a scary thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I remember graduating post, you know, with a postgraduate degree and I, I, I didn't really felt like I had learned until I actually started learning the things that I wanted to learn. Now I had learned how to, you know, take tests and do all of that stuff and not to, not to diminish my, my education. Mm-hmm. But at the time when I felt like my brain was fully awake mm-hmm. was when I started self-directing my education. And so mm-hmm. I think the education world teaches us how to conform. Yep. And I think, uh, you know, there's lots of books that talk about this and make this point. But when we're little, especially with my kids, I mean, they're dreamers, right? They they look at, you know, what they could become in the future. And they dream of, you know, just all sorts of, of amazing things. And, you know, slowly those dreams start to, you know, start to fade away because of this idea of conformity, right? Which is there, the world is scarce, um, you need to conform. You need to, you know, essentially do what you're told. And it's not said direct as direct as that, but that's what it implies, right? So, so looking, looking at, you know, maybe another example other than the one that you gave, um, when it comes to test taking, right? So test taking, what's the purpose of test taking first? Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah, I think it's really to gauge understanding of a certain concept, right? <laughs> That, and that's what it's all about. It's the, the, the professor will put information out in a curriculum, you know, either through a textbook or through a, a discussion series. You have to synthesize that information and then be able to regurgitate it in a, in a test format. It's beautiful, right? So g- g- that's good. Man. Perfect explanation. And, you know, that's the way in which learning happens. However, it is single dimensional learning. Right now you're in a classroom and inside of a classroom, right, they're teaching multiple students, but typically, and there's, you know, there's obviously exceptions to this, but typically testing is done on an individual basis, but everybody has different characteristics. They have different traits. They have a different personality. They view the world differently. They're wired differently. Okay. But yet you're meant to conform as if you had all of those personality characteristics, right? Instead of collaborating, right? So in the business world, me personally, there's not, you know, doing business, I don't rely on just myself to actually direct things. I have coaches, I have advisors, um, I have a team and I collaborate. I bounce ideas. We go through this and what about this? And this doesn't work. Oh, what do you think about this? I mean, the collaboration idea, you you bring in a multi, multi-dimensional way in which you can solve a problem or learn. And you're able to leverage the strengths of many people as opposed to, you know, this this uh, like melting pot of, of personalities that, you know, one 
a person is meant to, uh, you know, have or use or, or told to have or use. And that's how they're supposed to take a test or, or accomplish something. Or as you said, um, essentially disseminate information and, and synthesize it to make sure that, you know, there's, uh, there, it was received well. And that's the purpose of test taking, right? So the collaboration idea is not used. If you collaborate, you cheat. Right. That's cheating. If you use multiple people to, uh, to, um, essentially pass a test or to work on this, you, you're, you'll be accused of cheating. Right. So collaboration is huge. And I, and I think one of the main things that really affects the corporate world is, is the fact that people have not been raised in a sense to collaborate, to work as a team. And it's, you know, sometimes the downfall of a lot of businesses is because they can't get that. They don't, they're out for them. It's me. And it's not, you know, the, the, the idea of, if I were a part of a group, we're all going to excel and succeed together as opposed to individually. Well, and I think that's a really interesting point that you bring up because the very purpose of schooling is to prepare us to enter the corporate world. And so that begs the question, is the education that we're receiving the right type of education to prepare us for the inevitable purpose of why we're being educated to begin with, which is going out and using that education Mm -hmm. in much of a collaborative format, but yet it's not being taught. So, that, that aspect of the partnership has been called into question in so many different areas by so many different people. And is it serving our best interest to conform in the way that we're being told to conform? Yep. So I think academia, really, I mean, these are all good points. We could probably just speak a couple of episodes on each on each actual aspect of this partnership. But academia is, is really profound and it's the foundation because when we're young, that's when our minds are pliable. That's when our minds can be formed, and and our, that's when a lot of our subconscious is uh, is created, right? And then we exit schooling, and we go into the the corporate world. Um, but before we do that, let's just talk about college really quickly um, and the idea behind college. So what is what is college? College is after high school, you get a degree, and then you the social expectation is that you're some sort of a, a delinquent if you don't go to college. That's kind of and it really that's what it is today, right? If you don't do that, if you're a dropout, you're somehow this, you know, black sheep in society. Yeah, I, I agree with you hundred uh, percent. you know, I think college is really it's supposed to be the stepping stone that's going to give you the tools necessary to succeed in quote unquote the real world there, right? And and the hard part about college for most people is you're always asked, what is it that you want to be? What are you going to do? But we're kind of putting the cart before the horse. We have no idea what we want to be or do because we've never done that thing before. And we're told to told to narrow our focus even more than we did in our pre, you know, pre-college experience. We're told to narrow our focus. There are very few things that are taught to help us become team members, to help us really understand how to take that information and apply it in the real world. Yeah. And, and I think another thing too, because it's all, all beautifully, because it's like the final step before you actually get into the corporate world. But looking at these days, you know, we're 2000, 2015 and we've exceeded, you know, the, the debt on student loans of a trillion, a trillion dollars. So here's the other thing that's very interesting. We don't have a lot, ton of time to get into it, but if you look at the the obligations that people have taken on at a time where they don't have much financial education, period, but they've taken on an obligation where you know institutions basically say, "Don't worry, you can't afford college. You know, kick the can down the road. You can pay for it. We'll finance it, and then you're going to owe us down the road," which essentially puts them in even in an even greater bind. So when they do graduate, they almost feel like they have to get a job just to be able to pay off their their student loan. So they're kind of trapped in this partnership. So maybe we add, you know, another partner. Well, I guess, you know, Wall, Wall Street and, bank, and yeah. banking, right? Yeah. I guess Wall Street and banking, maybe we add banking to it. Now the banking's financing 
we do we could tell yeah if we'd even add banking as part of the partnership we could, probably could have done that too because the it, cfo it, of the partnership because yeah, it traps people <laughs> into you know having to pay a mortgage having to pay credit cards having to pay a car loan and so therefore they're they almost have to go out and get um a job anyway that's well, that's and, another angle <laughs> and you're so naive right i mean you're so For naive sure. when you enter into college you're t- you were told and you were raised and have all these social expectations that you have to go to college and then once you're in college you have to find a way to pay for this pretty expensive education mm-hmm. and student loans for most people that's just the natural thing that are, that's pushed to you from parents from the economy from the society. government from society yeah. the president says just go get a student loan go and pay, get a pay student for loan. it maybe you, you, you heard that that's what people are going to do yeah they're going to conform again that's what their mindset has been all along now they're going to conform even more yeah so then they're trapped now they're trapped with you know debt then they get into more debt and essentially kind of puts them into the corporate the corporate world so getting into the corporate world now we're, we're you have small businesses Right, you have um, self-employed people, and I mean, there's other there's other aspects, but in large part, you know, the primary employers of of America um, is the government and also uh, big corporations, publicly traded corporations, right? So, not to get into the weeds on publicly traded corporations, but the idea behind a corporation, like I'm not public, you know, the paradigm's not public, it's not a public business, so nobody else can go really come in and buy buy ownership in it. Um, but these public corporations, they essentially can create a, a, a business corporate structure where they can sell um, essentially the the ownership of the business, right? And they retain some ownership and they sell others and they buy back others and so forth. But the idea is they need basically people to purchase those shares in order for them to be able to do that. Um, But what it does is it really allows for um, corporations to have a, a huge injection, huge injection of capital, right? Because typically the way in which a company is valued to the point where they're actually able to go out and sell themselves throughout these, you know, with these shares, um, there is a lot of ways in which in the accounting world where there can be an over evaluation. They can value something that may, maybe doesn't exist okay, yet, but it's a potential. It may exist in the future, like a patent that they have or other intellectual property that they don't have anything right now, but they will in, in the future, right? So there's a lot of ways in which a company can be valued and overvalued and bloated. And that essentially um, allows them to raise more money uh, with, you know, than they would be able to without the stock exchange um, you know, with it. Because that's the nature of a stock exchange is essentially to you know, capitalize these businesses in a sense. So corporations set up in that specific way, they are highly incentivized to make sure that there is a, a stock market, right? That there is liquidity there, that their shares can be bought and sold. Because if there's, you know, a disparity between that buying and selling, that, that in a sense of going, it's going to affect them, right? So getting to the corporate world, they're highly incentivized, number one, to have employees, right? And those employees essentially show up and do their thing, create value for the company, innovate, create products, handle services, right? But in, in another sense, they they want basically that uh, that idea behind people so that they can uh, essentially capitalize themselves and raise money for themselves, which is where Wall Street comes into the picture. But let's step, step back in, into the corporate world. You're in the corporate world. Um, in, in that corporate world, what's the mentality there? Is it a, you know, entrepreneurial and it's a team building and collaborative or is it a dog eat dog and everybody's out to get a, a raise or to get a promotion? And, you know, if they have to outperform their peers in order to be able to do that. I mean, tell, tell, tell me about kind of your corporate experience. Yeah. So I worked with two large Fortune 500 companies and 
as much as I wish I could say that it was a collaborative, you know, everyone wins, you know, it's just a great place. It is a dog eat dog world. And uh, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. These corporations are highly driven to have good short term results. Quarter, quarterly earnings. You right? got it, right? They've got to have these good short term results. And so you are pushed and incentivized and, and really motivated to a certain sense to help drive short-term profits. And oftentimes, sometimes those short-term decisions can be detrimental in the long term, but it is for sure a dog-eat-dog world. And even if you collaborate and manage teams, you are always pushed to do more with less and make more profit and, and just impact more the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Now, there are anomalies out there for sure. You hear There's great- always, always exceptions. Yeah, you hear great You hear great corporations with great environments. Google, for sure, Facebook, they're out there. you know, they're- and, and and there's always you know with a, with big corporations it's I mean it's hard it's hard to manage pe- people right it's hard to kind of keep everybody motivated and get them doing this and this this when, the bigger you get you know that's where it requires a lot of effort in order to keep things you know on the right trajectory without it going off off path um, and so looking at you know a lot of the reasons why these structures exist right is is because of that management I- idea right but there are there are always there are always exceptions okay so but still looking at the mindset that was created in academia and how that carries over into the corporate world you can see you can see a very close you know a, a close knit as far as why employees behave a certain way why corporate employees you know have the mindset that they that they do a very scarce mindset yeah you got it i mean and it's an interesting thing because you're forced to work with teams but yet you're measured on individual performance and individual results and so <laughs> yeah. it really is a tough balancing act for yeah. sure in the corporate world cool all right so let's uh let's maybe go into let's get into wall street right so what does wall street have to to do with it how is wall street capitalized yeah, I remember in the corporate world, right? And this, you know, this is a funny memory for me, but I remember coming out of college, sitting down in front of my HR or with my HR advisor at my first corporate level job. And this is after having come out, come away, you know, with a very niche level of education to be able to perform in this job that I was in, but I had no investment education. And I remember sitting down with my HR advisor and in addition to filling out my new hire paperwork and my automatic deposit forms and my health, you know, health savings account, all that kind of stuff, I was then forced to make financial decisions for retirement using the tools and the the services that they put in front of me. And I remember having to choose which mutual fund I wanted to to pin all of my hopes and dreams on. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is and and this is again, this is this is a topic we could spend, you know, hours on, but but looking at, you know, it, it, there's lots of different legislation, you know, that's been created around kind of the uh, deferred compensation and retirement plans and so forth, because um, you know the, the nature of retirement plans today wasn't how it's always been. Right yeah. back in the day, you worked for a business and they you know gave you a pension, which means if you dedicated a certain amount of time to them, they would take care of you for the rest of your life. Right, and that those that those uh, setups still exist in in some businesses, uh, but and also government. Go figure. But in large, but in large part, um, those type of setups are just not profitable. Right, because of you know a variety of reasons, we won't we won't get into them. So it's kind of gravitated toward this deferred compensation or uh, de- uh, defined contribution plans, which are the four hundred one k structures, four fifty seven structures, four hundred three b. And there's a lot of different you know names for the exact same thing, but it's essentially that you can put in your money pre tax. Right. And it goes into these mutual funds and, you know, hopefully it grows over a certain period of time and you'll be able to use that down the road for your retirement. That's how, that's how it's pitched. Right. But again, going to this massive, the biggest business in the world, this huge partnership, you really look at, you know, they're, they're lobbying toward this idea. Dude, it was huge for them. 
right? Imagine when those laws were passed, they're like, holy crap, they really passed that. <laughs> now all this money gets gets injected into Wall Street, right? Because there's auto deductions and there's auto signups. And it's like people just get used to it because it's money that comes out before their paycheck, right? Well, so it's money that they've, they've never spent before. And think about the liability that was shifted with that one decision that you made, right? Or that you mentioned right there. I mean, up to about the late 1970s, early 1980s, really what people had to do is they had to go and get a, you know, learn how to get a job and then work at that job. And then whenever they were ready to retire, it was the company's responsibility to take care of them. That 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 fundamental shift shifted all of the responsibility for you and me or everyone else to not have any financial financial education to speak of in many cases, right? I mean, you're not taught that in the school system. You're not taught how to invest and how to build a portfolio. Um, but you're supposed to make those decisions now and you have the responsibility of providing for your own retirement. It, it's really exactly what I just mentioned. It's you sitting down in front of a, a spreadsheet looking at different index funds on your 401k you know, plan and then picking and, and kind of crossing your fingers and closing your eyes and hoping that it's the yeah. right pick. And it's that whole like conundrum. Okay, if you're low risk, if you're a low risk investor or uh, moderate or aggressive, right? Those are kind of the options they give they give you. And that's how they balance out your portfolio. So it's like the aggressive, you know, you, that's where you lose the most, right? Then then you have the you know the most conservative um, which is you don't make hardly anything. And then the moderate is, you know, <laughs> just I mean the, the decisions are ridiculous. Um, and in the end, if people don't know what they're doing. The people that are selling it to them represent the actual institutions. So they're obviously not going to be able to give unbiased advice. So it's a, it's a, just an interesting dynamic as far as how a person is expected to invest this money and somehow is just magically going to grow over the course of time, right? But they're only given really one option, right? Now there's multiple options within the one option, but in the end, it's all based on this w- Wall Street idea. Yeah. And, you know, the scary part about that, you mentioned what level of risk tolerance you're willing to take. And, uh, you know, we're taught when you're young, take a lot of risk. You've got time to uh, to, to make up for the risk. But I remember how I failed in 2008. Yeah. And the risk that I took was no less different than the risk that someone else t- yeah. takes, you know, in, in their 50s. I lost a significant amount of money that I had worked really hard to save up. Yeah. And along with it, I lost all of the confidence in that plan altogether. And that's fundamentally, that's what started changing my mind and really helping me expose how this partnership is truly set up. Yep. All right. So you did some research and uh, on this topic, what, what, uh, you came up with a dollar, a dollar amount or a percentage of, uh, of money. What did, what did you say again? Yeah. So 50% the, or so of, of, uh, of basically retirement is inside of tax deferred vehicles. You got it. So it's estimated that right now, you know, the, the American public has around $24 trillion in some, you know, in retirement assets in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. And over 50% of those assets are allocated to tax deferred vehicles. That's huge. That's a huge, and and I think that's what we're going to get into and talk about now. But that's the, that's the last area of this partnership where actually now we need to expose what it means to defer our taxes. Well, this is, yeah, let's, let's kind of get into that where, again, just to kind of have a smooth transition, you, you look at this auto sign up and people are basically said, you, you know, your retirement, your financial well-being in the future is now on your shoulders, right? And the government's going to help you out supposedly with some tax breaks, right? But, but essentially, you know, whether you have money there or not in the future, that's your, that's your fault, yeah. right? It's nobody else's obligation. 
So now money gets pushed into these plans, these plans by uh, mutual funds for, for the most part. Um, and you supposedly are pitched this idea that, listen, you can contribute now and you're not going to have any tax until when you withdraw it in the future. Okay. But is that entirely true? So let's get into the government, how the government is kind of involved in multiple ways. Okay. But how they're also involved with multiple taxes along the way. You're, the thing is you're taxed on mutual fund or a 401k right now. Right. You may think you're not, right? Because there's no income tax on it for you, right? But there's taxes for a lot of other people that are involved and all those expenses get passed on to you, which we'll, which we'll get into. And then down the road as well, the taxes you pay when you withdraw the money, but also the taxes you pay along the way because of inflation, because the government prints money and there's more of it, which means your dollars less in the future. Uh, but before, uh, yeah, before we get into that, let's just talk about the government as this partner, because they're kind of like the overarching partner, which is, you know, the one that allows everything to happen, right? So what's the, what's the nature of government? That's another, dude, I don't even know why I said that, <laughs> nature of government. Um, that's probably a topic for another day too, but how it pertains to this, this partnership, right? The government's of, uh, in a sense, um, a, uh, a partner that distributes wealth, right? They, they tax everybody, they take money from everybody, right? And they supposedly distribute it to, to things that wouldn't exist without them, which, is not really let's ex- true, but let's explore this. Yeah, let's expose that partnership and let, let's just break it down to what a what you know what a partnership should be, right? And and if we talk about the partnership in sense in the terms of our retirement savings, Pat, you're a business owner, right? What if I came to you, Pat, and I said, Pat, I love what you're doing here, and I want to be your partner in business. Mm-hmm. But in order for our partnership to work, I've got four requirements for our partnership. And here, here are the four requirements. I need you to put in all of the money and do all of the work for our partnership, right? So you have to take that 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 on yourself, okay. put in all of the money and do all of the work. Number two, you so have, I have to- t- I have to put up all the money and I do all the work. You got it. That's, oh, that's okay. our partnership so far, right? right? I really want to be your partner, though. In fact, I'm going to force it on you. Uh, Number two, you have to take all of the risk, right? So if we lose any money in our partnership, that's really going to come out of your share, not really my share. So you're taking all of the risk. Number three, you have to be okay with with really tying up the control of our partnership for a long period of time. And Mm -hmm. if you ever want to take money out of our partnership, I'm going to have to come back to the table and charge you a penalty for doing that. And at some future (laughs) point, right, some point down the road, we're going to come back to the table and we're going to say, let's sell our partnership, right? We're, we're we're, We're mutual partners here. And up to this point, I'm going to leave my ownership and your company in our partnership intentionally vague. Mm. And whenever we get ready to sell our business, at that point, I'm going to come back to the table and I'm going to tell you, Pat, after you doing all those things that we just talked about, Mm. now I'm going to tell you how much money you owe me. Are you ready to sign the dotted line on that? No. That's that's not the best partnership, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Is that not what we do with our tax-deferred qualified plans, though? Yeah, but the government will pave the road that we use to 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 drive the work, right? <laughs> yeah, you got it, man. I mean, we're we're shifting a whole lot of uh, of hope and expectations on them, right? So no, I, I, that's a great example, and you know, it's it's one of those things where people don't look at it like that, and that's the whole point of this whole conversation is the fact that you know the the awareness that we have, the mindset that we have is is has been in a sense positioned so that we don't look at the world that way. We look at the world as, as far as how we're told to look at it. 
All right. So yeah, dude, that's a great, that's a great example. So, so the idea behind government is, you know, essentially they'll tax, you know, they, they create these partnerships with us, but they create also create partnerships with, you know, Wall Street. They create partnerships with academia. They create partnerships uh, with the corporate world, right? And giving tax breaks. We can go through all the different things the government does for these different, their different partners. But then it comes to us, like our partners. We're sold on the idea that we have to pay them money in exchange. We get stuff, right? We get roads. Um, we get, uh, what else? What can I think about government? We get we schools. Get police, we police, get, you yeah. know, we get protection, police officer, fire department. Um, you know, the academic side of things, right? So they're basically taking this role of giving, giving us things, right? But we can all talk about, you know, just the, the massive inefficiency that the government is when it comes to that, because the initial role of government was to protect our rights, right? It wasn't to provide all these different services for us, but now that's what it's become. And we're all used to it because that's how things have always been. That's how our mindset has been positioned. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot of things that are going on in our economy today, um, which is profound, which basically is pushing out government to an extent, right? You have lots of innovation that's, that's taking place. Services that are insanely inexpensive, right? That basically compete against government stuff. Um, you know, even in the in educational world, right? Government does not have a corner on that market anymore, right? There's more education outside of academia right now than inside. Okay, but you just have to know where to look for it. So the idea, the idea behind things that are that are changing. I mean, it, I think it's in relation to the inefficiency of government, but at the same time, you know, we have to agree they do create stuff, right? They'll take the money and they'll do something with it. It might be inefficient, but they still do stuff with with it, right? They provide services, you know. They, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, I don't want to get into this, like all this, this huge topic when it comes to like their inefficiency. But the idea at the end of the day is we don't want to be these conspiracy theorists where we're just saying like, you know, the, the government is this evil creature and they do stuff for us, right? And they, they, they provide services. But looking at the different taxes that we're paying, is it really, is it really worth it? And that's where you got to kind of understand when it comes to your employment and when it comes to your, you know, your future wealth and your future retirement, which is how we're going to end this uh, podcast today. You have to understand their objectives. You have to understand their perspective. And you also have to understand how that applies to you, not what they tell you, right? But how, you know, what another perspective, which is not necessarily what they tell you. So you can determine for yourself, which is accurate. Yeah. I mean, that's the only way to determine if you want to participate in a partnership is if you know the parameters of the partnership, what what that partner is going to bring to, ta- the, to the table, what you're expected to bring to the table, and does it make sense for you to participate under that set of circumstances? Cool. So when it comes to wealth building, let's talk about you know, the, 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 the primary taxes that are paid, right? So when it comes to, to wealth building is you're putting money away, you're saving for the future, right? The reason why you're doing it, what, what the, what's the reason why somebody would save money, right? So what, why, do, why doesn't everyone just spend everything that they make? Why, are they, why, do they, why do people put money aside? Yeah, you know, I think if we really take a step back, a lot of people would say that you know, the reason that they're saving their money is they want their money to grow, right? And that's kind of what we're peddled by Wall Street. But the real fundamental purpose of saving money is really twofold. At some point, you're going to use that money, right? I mean, you want that money to be there for you to enable your retirement. It's got to produce an income for you or it's got to give you some type of a safety net. If something bad happens, you can fall back and tap that money. You're going to use that money and that's what savings is for. If you're not going to use it, the only other thing you can do with it is pass it on. Yep. There's only two two plausible outcomes of saving. Yep. You die and it goes to somebody else. Yeah. So you basically put money aside and you thought it was going to be for you, but it wasn't. It went, for, went to somebody else. You got it. I mean, it's either for income or it's for legacy. Those are the only two things. So if we know the fundamental purpose of savings is primarily to generate a future stream of income, we want to position our savings in the partnership in a way that will give us the best stream of income. Okay. So now when it comes to that, we're told, you know, society is told that this is how you should 
invest your money. This is how you should prepare for retirement. Okay. And we'll just use the 401k for now. Right. Or when everybody, t- you know, even ask anybody what is investing, right? Most people would answer, you just put money in Wall Street. You put money, that's the only way to invest. Yeah. Right. Which is very funny. Um, but it's not true, but that typically that's the, the primary. Uh, perspective and paradigm that people have. Well, it goes back to our partnership. That's all we're told. It goes told. back to everything that we're told, yeah. right? All right, so you put money into your 401k, you don't have to pay any taxes. Sweet, okay? But is that really true? Okay, no, you don't pay any income taxes, right? You don't pay FICA, right? You don't pay any income taxes, state or or federal. Okay, it goes into that bucket pre-tax, okay? But is that is it really true that there aren't any taxes on that money? No, because basically, where does that money go? It goes to a custodian first, the person that essentially creates the 401k plan. Okay. That could be, you know, a small, a small company. It could be, you know, a larger company like, uh, you know, an Ameriprise, um, or a Fidelity, right? But there's people that are custodians, right? So custodians are businesses. They're for profit businesses. So your money goes to them, right? But those businesses are set up to turn a profit. Right. Same as any other business. Okay. And the government will tax that profit. Right. So if you put money in there, that money is basically used for a poor profit company and you, you essentially pay the tax because all businesses pass on their tax to the, you know, respective customer. That's how they price their product. Exactly. So that goes to the custodian first. Then it goes to the mutual fund company. Right. Now, mutual funds, um, or even index funds or even low cost funds, no load funds, which still have loads, but or costs or fees. Okay, these are, these are for profit, you know, entities that are created to, to house the multiple companies that are being purchased. They're taxed as well. And guess who pays those tax? The customer. And who's the customer? You. So that's the idea behind the businesses that actually take your money. They're all taxed. The government gets them. And even though you're told that there is no tax on your money and it grows tax free, it's not, or grows tax deferred. Not true. You got it. And, you know, I, I know this isn't the purpose of this conversation, but you led off with the silent tax of inflation, right? And anytime we lock our money up in that, in this type of partnership arrangement, we for can't future t- use. for future use. Part of the provisions of that partnership are we can't touch that money prior to 59 and a half without paying some type of a penalty to do so. So yep. our money is now being taxed with silent tax. I mean, it's just eroding the purchasing power of what that money will eventually do for us. And that's, and it's interesting, again, it's a totally different tangent, but you you look at the future use of money, right? So we obviously have money for future use and basically the government puts restrictions on, hey, we're going to give you these tax benefits, but you have to keep that money in there until you're 60 or else you have to pay a penalty. Okay. And also, um, you know, you're required to take money at 70 and a half years old, according to current, current laws, because the government is able to basically say, listen, um, I have, there, there's this big asset that I can start to tax in the future, right? Which allows them basically planning techniques so they can basically, you know, create programs where they finance these programs with bonds and, and government securities, they don't live off. They don't live off of their income, which is tax revenue. They now go into debt because they'll have future income in the future. They'll have future income because of how four hundred one k's are going to be taxed once people start taking them for retirement. You got Interesting. It. I mean, it's that statistic that we just went over. I mean, if there's over twenty four billion trillion. retirement, yeah, trillion, yeah, so, excuse me, twenty four trillion yeah. reti- dollars in retirement assets, half and over of which 50% are four hundred one k's. Yeah, and they tax all of it. Yeah, right. They'll yeah. tax. That's a future tax stream. Future tax stream. Now, and you know, the, 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 
difficult part about that is if we go back to the fundamental purpose of why you were saving in the beginning, it was to generate a future stream of income. Not for, yeah, for you. For you, not for, for you, not, not for the government, right? <laughs> but that's essentially what we're doing. And here, here's the question: I mean, if we, if if you and I were to really take an introspective look and say, okay, we're not economists, we're, we you know we don't work in the federal government, but if you had to guess, our tax is going to be higher in the future, the same or lower? Yeah, and that's yeah. You, you look at and most people don't know how to answer that question, right? Because what they'll say is, well, my, you know, right now I have to you know put money away, right? I have to save. Right. So in the future, I don't have to do that anymore. I'm living off my savings. Uh, my kids are all gone. Uh, my house is paid off. So people are like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to need less to survive on. So they're going to say, my taxes are going to be less. Go down, right? right? You're going to retire in a lower bracket. We hear that all the time. All the time. But going back to inflation, right? So, I mean, this is, this is how these two things kind of work together. If we know that the value or the purchasing price of our dollar is going down year after year after year and, and the future impacts of inflation are going to be dramatically impacted by what the government's done since 2008, right? So, yeah. I mean, they have injected well, before that, so <laughs> much money into the economy, even before that as well. But so let's think about this now. If, if we felt like we could retire off $75,000 today and we felt like that would cover all of our life stuff, we didn't have kids and a mortgage and all the things that yeah. will potentially go yeah. away when we retire, yeah. what is it going to take to have the same lifestyle that $75,000 today will provide 15, 20 years in the future? Well, let's, let's take it, let's, let's back up one step, right? Let's say that 75,000 is what you think you can retire, but right now you need a hundred. Yeah. Right. So let's say you're, you need a hundred right now, but in the future, once you don't have to save anymore, once you have to pay any of your kids anymore, once your house is paid off, you know, let's say it's 75,000. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So now you're betting on 75,000. So now let's say it's 15 years down the road. So with inflation, right? 75,000 will purchase X amount of goods and services today, right? But it will really purchase the same amount of goods and services in the future? And, and the answer is? Absolutely not. We yeah. all feel that. I mean, every time we go to the gas pump, I, I still lament over the, I remember the filling up my gas tank the first time and it cost me less than a buck per gallon, yep. right? And even though gas prices have kind of fluctuated the last couple months, but food, healthcare, um, whatever it is, I yeah. mean, just going to the movie, that's a great example, yeah. right? Lifestyle. Prices are going up all over the place. Prices are going up. And you still have a, you know, you, you still have these influences of technology which are trying to drive price down. So you have this constant battle between, you know, the, the idea of prices rising because the government continues to print money and, and floods the world with with dollars, which essentially dilutes the purchasing power of our existing money. Uh, and you constantly have innovation that's trying to push stuff down, push stuff down, push stuff down. But you know, still the Fed the Fed, their policy, and Janet Yellen's gonna speak be speaking this week, their policy is they want two to three percent inflation. They want two to three. They'd say it, right? They say we are going to print money so that your money declines by two to three percent per year. Yeah. Now, that's not that's not what most people hear. They hear, oh, great, two to three percent. That's me. That means I'm going to make more, right? That essentially that's what it comes down to, yeah. right? We're going to grow by two to three percent more, right? Because everybody just equates rising stuff with growth, which is again, this is another tangent we can get off on. But the idea is you're right. It's like, it's a government policy that they want stuff to go up in value over time, right? Which, requ which basically requires more of your money to buy it. So even if tax <laughs> rates never increase, right? It's it's impossible to rely. Re You're not going to retire on a lower tax rate. So that that's impossible. That that fallacy needs to be squashed. It needs to be kicked out of the yep. the, the vernacular and the vocabulary altogether. But the next the next scary thing I would say is even if tax rates don't increase, we know we're going to retire in a higher tax bracket based on inflation. But let's go to the other alternative. What if taxes do increase, right? And we can look at so many different things within the government from Social Security, Medicare, 
Medicaid, interest on the national debt, so many different variables within the federal government that give huge red flags that taxes have to increase, that there's no mathematical way that they can stay in the same position that they are now. Impossible. And so that's that's the idea. If you really look at the math, there's no way they're going to go down. So if, if, if that's really the end of, of that savings question, why on earth would you defer that risk to the future? Yep. And that's a great question. So again, looking at our perspective, it's different than the mainstream. Okay, It's totally different. But just looking at how everything is positioned, right? It's pos- being positioned for the well-being of this part, this big, biggest business in the world, this huge, huge partnership. And they're not... Some of them are dumb, but the most part, they're not dumb. They know what they're doing, right? <laughs> yeah, they know they know exactly how they're positioning things for their well-being in the future. And they know what control is, okay? They know how to, you know, position themselves legally so that, you know, if something does go awry, they're the ones that have control over the, ch- over the change, right? Okay, so government, taxes, and so forth. Um, all right, so where does, this, where does this put us, right? People are in the, in the position they're at right now. Things aren't going to change. Right, there's a huge, massive partnership that we're all involved with. You're not going to just be able to abolish it. It's just not going to go away. So how do we take advantage of it? Right, right now you're in a job. It's not like you can just quit and just go try to figure things out. It's not like you can rewind and change your education. Right, it's not like you can, you know, influence taxes going down. Right, we're in the we're in the situation that we're in. Right, can't go and change. And a lot of people are trying to do that. They're lobbying, and they're you know they create these nonprofit groups, and they do podcasts, and I and that's what we do too, right? So there is a way in which we can influence it, but at the same time, we need to make some changes right now, okay, in order for us to be prepared for what's coming down the pipe in the future. And that's what you know one of the reasons why we're we're doing this podcast today is because you did a webinar um, last week that talked about some things that you can do to basically position your assets so that when you do retire, it's 100% tax-free or at least reducing the tax significantly based on current tax law. You got it. And, and, you know, as you were talking about the nature of that partnership, I couldn't help to think about, you know, the saying it's me against the world, right? We hear about that all the time. I mean, you know, people (laughs) sing about it. I think that's used oftentimes in athletics. It's a way to motivate you. If what we just described to you isn't you against the world, then I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. And in order for you to know how you're, how you're positioned in your partnership, it, it really comes down to awareness. And that's what we specialize in here at Paradigm Life. We help people get an education, not an education that you're going to get in the, in the partnership sense of it, where you go to school and you learn how to be a great employee, but an education to know how to position your finances right today to position you to have what it is you're looking for, which is the best, most efficient, highest income stream you can at some distant point. Yep. So that's one, of the, and that's this is part of you know our, our education, you know, your educational process. And the idea is, it's just a strategy, right? It's a way in which you can position things. It's just more education, so it's totally worth it. And we'll put the link to um, to your webinar uh, so people can stream it uh, for free, just and, and just watch it if they want. Uh, but we'll put that in the body of uh, of the blog post. Um, but it's a prof- it's a it's a profound idea, but at the same time. Just we don't like the we you know our philosophy is that retirement is anti life right yeah. it's anti human nature um, but at the same time people have been preparing for this for decades and decades and it's looking at just completely shifting gears I can I get it you know I know why it's difficult to people to say I Ryan I believe you Patrick I believe you but I'm sixty years old right what, what do I what do I do and the idea, and they saved up a lot of a lot of money, but there are ways in which you can protect your assets. There's ways in which you can position them for for cash flow and for income, so that your expenses are covered and you're paying the least amount of tax possible. 
which gives you the opportunity to go out and to innovate and to create and to, to figure out a way to, to, to be alive, right? To create stuff, to be involved. Because if you don't do it, if you just go play squash or, or golf or, or whatever, if, without purpose, human beings just deteriorate, yeah. right? And so that's the idea is, you know, we, we get there are people that have been in this position and being prepared for, um, for this idea of retirement. But the deal is because of how quickly our society is, is progressing and evolving, a person that's retiring at 65 could live to 100. They can live to 95. That's, 30, that's more years than they spent working, right? Well, you're not just preparing to have your money last for the next you know, couple of years, right? You're preparing for it to last forever. So the idea is your money probably won't last forever unless you you know position it the right way or unless you have a crap load of money. Um, so the idea is to really set yourself up so that you can at least get your you know living expenses and lifestyle expenses taken care of, and then that gives you kind of permission to go out and try to figure out a way to take what you've learned throughout your years in in working life and make it your own, have control over it, provide value to the world um, instead of just completely killing it when you retire. Yeah, and I love what you said there. I think. Our financial lives is a journey, and it doesn't change when you turn sixty five it just it just might have a different perspective or a different meaning. But you have to start this journey, this financial journey with the end in mind. And so oftentimes we're kind of with the wool pulled over our eyes by this partnership that we're in. We're, we're not really focused on what it means to have retirement income. We just expose some of the, some of the detriments. Your biggest risk to retirement income is tax. There's no way around it. It yep. is tax. Yep. And so it, it, once we understand what it is we're trying to do, which is generate a future stream of income so we can have more, and I'll just call it rather than retirement, maybe financial freedom, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe at some future point, whether it's 65, 55, or 75, or whenever that time is, mm-hmm. if your assets that you've saved can provide you enough income, it gives you permission to go do something else, whether that's spend more time with your family, climb Mount Everest, live the dreams that you have, or start a business because you now have income coming in from your assets. That's really what it's all about. So it's about starting with the end in mind. The end is truly income. And then working backwards and finding how to position your money in the most effective way to maximize a future stream of income. Well said, well said. And I think one thing as well for those that maybe are beyond the age of, of 60 and because and right now there are a lot of people that realize that, wow, I just need to hunker down and save a ton of money right now because I'm going to live a long time. So they're, they're taking these last, you know, five, 10 years of their productive life and spending it just socking money away. But there's ways in which you can actually d- retire early and still have the same amount of income that you would have had with the traditional way in which Wall Street tells you how to take income. And by doing that, now you're able to capitalize in the last five to 10 years of your life and have your basic expenses taken care of, replace your paycheck you're getting from your employer with a paycheck coming from your assets, which allows you to essentially go out and figure out a way to do your own thing, figure out a way to create income and build build wealth for the last five to 10 years of your uh of your productive life. Yeah. And I think that's the problem with retirement as well. I mean, you talked about, you know, that deferred mentality. I mean, we're defer- we're taught to defer our taxes, but retirement's all about deferring your life dreams as well. I'm going to, I'm going to travel the world when I retire. Yeah. If we can show you a way to maximize income now to protect yourself, to not be subject to the game that most people are playing with risky wall street and defer taxes, it just opens up a whole new possibility. And right, why not live the life you want to live now, yep. as opposed to deferring everything down the road when you have less and less control over yep. it? So one one thing that I want to actually step back and, and talk about briefly, and then we'll end, is most people think that this webinar or what we're talking about, especially your web, not this webinar, this, web, this webinar that you've created, um, but this podcast is not 
targeted at one specific demographic. This podcast is targeted to really everybody that's in American society right now, because we believe, you know, just based on statistics, most people are ill prepared. The majority, I mean, we're not talking like majority, like 60%, we're talking majority, like 95% are not prepared, right? For what's coming down the pipe. Now, if they can't take care of themselves, if they're not prepared, okay, then who essentially, whose responsibility does it become to pick up the pieces? The ones who are prepared. Yep. And also those that are younger like yeah. us, right? And what does that mean? Who's, who, where's the safety net? Right. Is a safety net the private sector? No way. Safety net is always a government. So where the government needs more money, that's when they tax more. And the responsibility associated with us um, and when it comes to a, a, I'm talking about us, maybe a younger between 30 and 45 year, year old generation, we are going to be responsible essentially for what's coming down the pipe. Our parents, potentially our grandparents. Okay. If they can't take care of themselves, then most likely we are going to be the ones that have to take care of them, take care of them. So that's why we also encourage, you know, even our, our younger clients and younger individuals that say, oh, these aren't my issues. Okay. I'm younger. I don't have to worry about that. It's going to be way down the road before I have to worry about any of that. No way. There's a lot of things you need to do right now to protect yourself because if you don't, then the chaos that's going to ensue just based on the aging demographic and how that's going to affect the entire American society will affect you. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of there's a lot of really telling economic statistics and, and things that are happening right now in our economy that will that kind of lead us to believe that things will change sooner rather than later. And you know, I mentioned some of those in the webinar that I did last week. Uh, you can probably listen to other things or even call up any agent here at Paradigm Life and they can talk to you through what some of those things are. Mm-hmm. But it's all about understanding the game that we're in. We're all in this game. We're all in it together. If you don't understand your your what you bring to the table in your partnership and you don't understand what the partnership is bringing to the table for you, then you're going to be taken advantage of. You're going to be a victim. So I think at, at the fundamental foundation, you know, what we do with clients is we help put them in a position where they have more control. Their financial plan is not a plan based on hope. They don't have to walk away from us closing their eyes, crossing their fingers and hoping that things work out. It's all about knowing what you're facing and then putting you in a position to have the highest probability of success in those set of circumstances. Yep, well said. Because right now, you know, we don't want, we don't want to make pe- make people think that it's gloomy, there's nothing that you can do. Uh, this stuff is going to happen and it's going to be really bad. No, that's not what we're, what we're saying. We're saying that, you know, that's that's the world we live in. It's always been that way. There's always been chaos. Human beings are imperfect. We do some things really well. We don't do some things very well. And, you know, there's there's consequences on both sides, positive consequences, negative consequences. We just have to realize that. But right now, become aware. We're in the information age. Get the information that makes you aware. And then take that awareness, take that education and, and do something about it is what we're saying. And you can. There are a lot of different op- options out there. A lot of ways you can avoid a lot of what we've been talking about. Talking about today. So, with that said, you know we're uh, we're up on time, but uh, it's been an interesting conversation. I think it went in a direction that we didn't really anticipate, but that's why it's always good talking to you, Ryan. And uh, your webinar, um, we had over I think 650 people that uh, that registered for the webinar. So, um, just the topic itself was super popular. So, uh, so yeah, we'll put that link. We'll put that link up on our blog um, so that people can uh, can review that. And uh, and that's it. Any final uh, words before we part? Yeah, guys, I appreciate you taking the time to listen. I mean, it's it's always a pleasure being here with you, Pat. And I I love what we do here at Paradigm because our our goal is to help you, you know, to help understand what it is you're trying to achieve and then position you in the way to achieve it in the best 
the best way possible. And that, that's really what it comes down to. And I, speaking as a client, I came to you, Pat, as a client, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how I met you. And that's how I was exposed to what we just talked about today mm-hmm. and the whole plethora of other things that we talk about at Paradigm Life. But that's that's really the, the focus that we take on clients is putting your hopes and dreams, putting a plan around those to show you how to achieve them. Awesome. Well said, Ryan. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, all right. So, uh, so for those of you who are uh, still listening <laughs> toward the end, uh, we uh, we're, we broadcast live, right? So we're, we broadcast live every Wednesday at nine a.m. on the TuneIn Network. So you guys can just go to TuneIn and uh, just search the Wealth Standard Radio, and it'll show that link there. And so if you're in your car, you're at work on a little break, uh, or even if you're not, just put on your headphones and uh, and listen to us live if you'd like. Uh, but also, you can access all the past. Uh, Past episodes on uh, thewolfstandard.com. Uh, you can also search us uh, on iTunes. So we uh, hope you enjoyed today's uh, episode. If you did, definitely leave us some positive feedback on iTunes. It always helps us to get our message out and to attract more listeners. So uh, that would be that would be fantastic. Uh, and uh, we will talk to you next week. Thanks everybody for tuning in. You've been listening to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial, with your host Patrick Donahoe. 